Hi, this is Jeffrey Tucker, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You might also consider supporting this podcast by sharing it and even donating. LCI needs your help so it can continue creating great content. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm Norman Horn, and with me today is Doug Stewart and Nick Gosling. And today we want to talk about different kinds of libertarianism. We were recently asked by one of our listeners, what makes Christian libertarianism distinct from other kinds of libertarianism? And so we're here to answer that today with a a roundtable discussion about kind of what the basis of libertarianism is and why it is that Christianity uh, coincides with that really well and perhaps what what we believe about our theology uh, that that really makes this uh, jive well together. One of the things that is really important that we try to emphasize here at LCI, and this has come forward in a variety of different ways. If you've been around for a while, you may have heard this discussed when I was debating Al Mohler on the radio a long time ago, about two years ago, where we want to make sure that you know that Christianity is an all-encompassing worldview, but libertarianism is not. Libertarianism fits within our Christian worldview, and it answers very important questions uh, in in many respects, but it is not a worldview in and of itself. It doesn't encompass everything about what we believe, and it doesn't uh, and it doesn't precede our Christianity in any shape, way, shape, or form. So that's that's something that we definitely want to you know emphasize right off the bat. Libertarianism is more of an application element. It answers the question: What is the proper use of coercive force, and what roles do institutions play in managing such force? And so libertarians really hail from a lot of different types of backgrounds. Uh, you'll see out there, of course, you you know you're probably familiar with the atheists, the atheists out there, agnostics, uh, those who are just you know completely ambivalent about such things, and uh, and and that's you know that's all well and good. Uh, libertarianism is broader than just uh, when just one background um, because it appeals to the transcendent uh, nature of nat- natural law. As, uh, as its basis in, in so many respects. Um, but uh, all of it really comes back down to, you know, for us as Christians, how it, uh, how it interacts with our Christian faith and how we can understand the world better. Uh, it, in many respects, I like to, to describe it as there's not really such a thing, for instance, as Christian mathematics or something to that effect. Um, it, mathematics is something that, you know, it, it exists, uh, that, it, that exists as a result of God's creation, uh, it's part of the logical structure of the universe itself. Um, you know, it, it, that's just what it is. And likewise, man has a nature uh, that is evident from uh, and, and is discoverable uh, through through rational uh, through rational discourse and whatnot. And it's something that w- that has been distorted by sin, oftentimes. Uh, and and it, that's something that we can understand from the Bible as well as through nature. And uh, and that's why we you know we can also then go to our Christianity and see and see how uh, how it all works together. That's sort of a very brief introduction. It's a little haphazard in some ways, but I want to begin with that as our basis here and start some discussion with our with our other guys here, Doug and Nick. 
what are you guys thinking about this? And what sorts of things would you want to tell someone who is trying to discern why Christian libertarianism is different from the way that some some others approach uh, libertarianism from the basis? Nick, what do you think about that? One thing that I think is a really good way to describe it, this was on an earlier episode of our show, actually, where I believe all four of us were on, and Jason had used the analogy of Christianity is like our operating system, and libertarianism is like a program that you run on the operating system. So where people like Al Mohler kind of conflate the issue is they're viewing libertarianism as if it were the quote-unquote operating system or the comprehensive worldview, and it's not. It's, it's one, uh, one element of our worldview that can fit into other people's worldviews as well, but we come at it for certain reasons, Christian reasons. And the, there's certainly a natural law basis uh, to that. For example, you know, Marie Rothbard, very famous uh, natural law theorist of libertarianism, probably the most important libertarian theorist of modern times, uh, but he was an agnostic. But he still got to libertarianism through a natural law theory, building forward uh, from property rights and starting with the self-ownership of the individual and then reasoning on from that to uh, the fruits of one's labor and so forth. So there's certainly ways uh, that you can get to, to libertarianism from, from multiple perspectives. Uh, David Friedman, for example, very famous libertarian, is actually a utilitarian, not even a natural law theory libertarian. But what I think is distinctive about Christian libertarianism is that we reach these conclusions primarily through the ethical lens of Christian theology. So the reason why we get to these natural law conclusions and specific libertarian conclusions is because we believe that property rights and the, the freedom of the individual and the empowerment of social institutions that are not the state, like church and family and uh, private association and business and so forth. These are all Christian theological concepts. These are things that are consistent with and flow out of Christian theology. And so even though non-Christian libertarians and Christian libertarians quite often, if not most of the time, get to the same conclusions, the way and manner in which we get to those conclusions is is distinct. And I think that's that's one of the primary differences. You know, I really like this topic because it gets people talking about things deeper than talking points, I think. Because once you're already in a conversation about, you know, like, what kind of libertarian are you? Or you're being provoked a little bit and say, well, how on earth can you be a Christian and a libertarianism? How on earth can you be a Christian and a libertarian? Or how on earth can you be a libertarian and then also believe in God or something like that? It gets you to think about why you believe what you believe. Even if you don't have a good answer when you're first, you know, provoked with that kind of question or put on the spot, it gets the conversation going, especially if you're, you know, for instance, on Facebook or, you know, even just discussing through email or messenger or whatever it is that, you know, online sort of forms of communication, which are a lot shorter and uh, they're not long conversations over over a drink or something. Um, You know, it gives you a conversation point that allows you to explain and elaborate. And I've always found that to be 
uh, a little bit exhilarating, I guess. Maybe that maybe I'm a little <laughs> maybe I'm unique in that, but it's exhilarating to talk about why I believe in and be able to form my beliefs as I explain what is what does it mean for me to be a Christian and to be a libertarian. And I think it's important to do what Norm did at the beginning and talk about the comprehensive worldview and say that, you know, these things aren't incompatible, but that my Christian faith provides the basis for my my comprehensive worldview and somehow my libertarianism fits within that. One way that I, I sort of think of it is that libertarianism as a political philosophy sort of is on par, not with Christianity per se or uh, theology proper, but on lines with things like soteriology or ecclesiology or some of the sub-disciplines in theology. And so it fits within all of those because it answers the question Norman mentioned before, what is the proper use of coercive force? You know, soteriology doesn't answer that, ecclesiology doesn't answer that, but what does answer that? Well, I don't know what ology we would call it, I guess just political theology or something, but libertarianism or whatever political philosophy you subscribe to needs to answer that question. And I believe that libertarianism is the best one that fits within the framework of all of the, the theologies that I've already had. Now, I don't know about some of our listeners. So the three of us were Christians before we became libertarians. We sort of had a framework in the way we thought about scriptures, the way we thought about our theology, our, our heritage in our Christian faith traditions, depending on where those came from. And we've all been on our own faith journeys. Maybe we've even changed theologies a little bit along the way. And all of those things have made the way we see the world a distinctly Christian way of seeing the world. And so when libertarianism came along and, and we look at that and we say, oh, well, that fits because all these different theologies just sort of fit within the context that we think about political philosophy. And so libertarianism was the most natural fit for us. And so I, just to keep in mind, for those of you listening, it's possible that you were libertarian first. I don't think of it in I, that wasn't my experience, and so I always think of it in the, um, in the other direction. So that's just going to be the perspective that, that we take it. Doug, you mentioned that some people here who might be listening today were libertarians before they were Christians, and I, I do want to make a kind of a bit of a uh, a shout out to them. You know, we we do uh, we do believe, uh, you know, as Christian libertarians, that part of our mission, even as the LCI, uh, is, is to tell the gospel story. Um, to other libertarians as well, and help and help them to understand uh, the the good news that is presented to us. And so, if you if you were part of that, um, if you were a libertarian, and maybe you uh, came to know Christ later, whether that's through LCI or not, there have been those people who came to know Christ sort of indirectly through interactions with LCI. And we're uh, we're you know we we thank God for you, and we do want to you know just to uh, to to say a quick uh, hallelujah to that. Um, but as we continue on here, you know, Doug said some other really important things that I think are, are are really worthy of note. In particular, I'm thinking about this idea of the subdiscipline. Uh, one one element of that that I I find meaningful, at least to me, and and this may be again more towards those who were Christians first and became libertarians later. You know, as we began learning about liberty uh, and libertarian theory. Uh, as as Christians, as as one who is already committed to Christ for some time, uh, one thing I found, at least, was that so many of the things that libertarianism proposed as being right about the world seemed to be more consistent with the with the Christian way of thinking than what I priorly held as a Christian, uh, in particular as a Christian conservative. And so it was it was very interesting to me 
that for instance, this goes back to, you know, the early days of when I was uh, sort of moving away from conservatism at the time, I, I, you know, was kind of even questioned by my parents to the effect of like, well, why are you, why do you think this way now? I mean, what, what, what is it that's making you want to change your way of thinking about this? And that is, and, and my answer to them, to them was, you know, mom, dad, I'm, I feel like in many respects, I'm being more consistent with my approach to Christianity now uh, because of this change in perspective about the use of violence in the world than I was previously. I'm doing what you taught me to do, which is to question things, to learn deeply about topics, and to, uh, and to ultimately, if I find that I'm wrong about something, to change my mind on it. Uh, and so, you know, that is a result of, of not of, of abandoning uh, Christian perspectives, but of saying to myself, and as I was learning this new topics, like, I was basically going through this and realizing that every problem uh, that I could throw at, you know, liberty or libertarian ideas uh, was false uh, when I was when I was trying to to accuse it uh, from kind of the conservative point of view. And I realized that I had better answers to all the questions as a libertarian than as a conservative. And so that's one reason that, you know, I find, again, that Christianity and, and liberty are concordant uh, with one another in this respect. Uh, Christianity being, of course, being the superior, but libertarianism is, uh, it, you know, is a better way of explaining certain things um, than than conservatism is in the context of Christianity. One of those things, in fact, is actually the idea of property rights. Uh, I think it's really interesting that you know the, probably the best theorists about libertarianism that you'll find in the 20th century. Murray Rothbard, um, people like uh, uh, theorists like Stephen Kinsella, who's written extensively about property rights, uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe and his writings about property rights in particular. Uh, these these theories that are put together really coincide with the with a strong way uh, with what Scripture presents about property. Um, whether you're looking at boundaries or you're thinking about the second uh, uh, the second tablet of the Ten Commandments and Thou shalt not steal and Thou shalt not covet and things like that. Those are those are uh, you know all set in this backdrop of of this idea that uh, that one has a right of a property right in person and in, and in things that is established by homesteading and by use um, and that's that's something I find very interesting and and probably in many respects hasn't been covered enough uh, by our modern Christian libertarian movement uh, in in more of an uh, in the academic way where we are you know proposing a, a more comprehensive theory. And I think that that's really a, a great avenue of research in some level is is taking all of those ideas and synthesizing that and demonstrating why that is concordant in the in a great way with scripture. That's that's something I would love to see even more of uh, from our from our Christian libertarian brother and all of you guys out there, um, especially if you're in the scholarly community and you want to publish on that. That's a great a great research avenue to go. As I think about this question that we're that we're kind of asking here, you know, what kind of libertarians are there? You know, you could think of libertarian kinds as sort of, you know, in Christian parlance, sort of like denominations where they kind of emphasize different things and they, uh, of libertarianism. And so there's really, you know, there's only one true libertarianism. We could say that, but at the other, on the other hand, we, we probably should talk about thick and thin libertarianism here in a minute. But something I think about in my journey, when I look back at my exploration of libertarianism and the few things that caught my attention and I kept studying and studying and learning, you know, listening to podcasts, um, seminars on economics and things like that. Reading I, that darn libertarianchristians.com website. Yes, that, 
Yes. Yeah. yeah, that was a great site. <laughs> it still is, actually. Yeah, it really is great. <laughs> LibertarianChristians.com. Shameless plug. Here's the thing. I don't know how much I look to the scripture to defend libertarianism so much as make sure that my views on the scripture and my theology didn't conflict with it. It's it's similar to me that I'm not going to look to the Bible to defend mathematical theorems or other things that the Bible is is the Bible isn't designed to to tackle. Uh, and I do believe that the Bible is designed to tell us how we are to live together. So I don't want to I don't want to miscommunicate that. At the same time, when I I remember reading books and listening to podcasts and thinking, wow, there's a political framework that makes complete sense that is compatible with the scriptures. And I can go to the scriptures and find that God is very much in favor of property rights. I can go to the scriptures and find that we are to not harm others and that there's no exemption for the state to avoid that charge, that God is fundamentally anti-state as an anti-empire. So I can go to the Bible and find those things, but along my journey, I wasn't looking to Scripture to, like, mine, I wasn't mining the Scripture for, all right, what is, how does God tell me I should be a libertarian? It wasn't just, it wasn't the way my journey took place. And it wasn't because of, you know, any particular view of my authority of the Scripture. I, I made sure that everything that I learned was in, what was compatible with the Scripture, but it wasn't something that I looked to to defend in the same way that I would look to the Bible to defend other areas of interest. So do you guys find that it's easier to look to the scripture and defend libertarianism as like, here's where it can, here's where it sort of comes from, if you will, or do you feel like it's easier to simply defend the compatibility? I think in the former case, and this, this can happen with anything you're debating in theology, rightly or wrong. If you tell someone you're coming at it from that kind of an angle, you're going to be accused of proof texting, right? So, I mean, anybody can accuse anybody of proof texting. I mean, you can you can go into the Bible and find, with if you're willing to entertain bad hermeneutics, you can find justification for, for pretty much any view you want to hold. So, I think if we're talking about showing how... Christianity and libertarianism flow together. That's probably a better starting point when communicating with someone who is not a libertarian to first get over that initial hurdle just to show the compatibility. Uh, because then when we actually get into not only the compatibility issue, but showing how libertarianism is actually the correct approach to political philosophy for Christian theology, that's, that, that's a bit of a higher barrier than just saying they're compatible. And I think we can get there and must get there. And a lot of the work on LCI, as well as by many other Christian libertarian thinkers, has, ha, has done that, including, in fact, many, many Christian thinkers who would not even identify as libertarianism, we would argue their works uh, bolster that, that kind of thinking. But, but, but the reason we don't start by saying, here, we're, we're going to go open up the Bible and show you where libertarian you can find libertarianism, you'll be accused of proof texting. Now, once you get over that initial hurdle of showing the compatibility, we can then move into the, the, the broader biblical theological discussions and find common ground on interpretation and hermeneutics and exegesis. And then we can, in fact, show how libertarianism does flow naturally and, and consistently 
out of out of Christian theology. But I I would start with the compatibility issue first, especially in any kind of polemic setting. Otherwise, I, I think people are just going to shut off and they're, and they're not going to hear you in most cases. I think what I wanted to avoid was I knew the danger of proof texting, coming up with the scriptures, you know, just going to the scriptures and like, as Brian Zahn said, says, you know, you can make the scriptures stand up and dance a jig if you want to. Like he can, like, I can, I can make the scriptures say anything I want to. And I knew that that was a danger. And so I didn't want to read the scripture. You know, I was, I was really eating up the libertarian stuff 10 years ago and I didn't want to read the scripture with that particular bias in mind. So I sort of set that part aside it wasn't like I didn't think about it, but I was also in uh, doing my own theological pursuits at the same time, and they did not seem incompatible. And so, you know, I like what you said there, Nick, is that, you know, you start with the compatibility part because it's a lot easier to, it's a lot easier to, to process through and make it to the, make it through to the, oh, hey, here's the correct, the most consistent view, uh, politically speaking. When you compare the way that we are even discussing this, with how oftentimes we will see even the most prominent of theologians approach political theology, how different it ultimately is. How many times have you even just looked in a commentary or had a discussion with someone about politics and Christianity, and the concluding thought is something akin to, well, Romans 13 says that, you, that the state is appointed by God. And it's almost like the end of the discussion. In a sense, it's ironic that often you will find proof texting as the modus operandi of the conservative or liberal uh, approaches to political theology from the outset. We're trying to, you know, totally, sub, uh, totally avoid that by taking a, a, just a more holistic approach to the scriptures, to natural law, and the that's just a logical approach in general. And then it's, and then the funny thing is then when we get accused of proof texting as a result, as though that we're the ones who are somehow subverting scripture. Uh, I find that, I think it's worthy of note here because I find that quite ironic. Um, and wish, and w it's sort of my wish in my life that by the end of it, I will have, uh, completely d obliterated such a, such uh, heinous thought processes. That would be a good thing to obliterate because the accusation of proof texting is really just a a petty way of accusing people of not doing their work, even when they that's have. true. And and honestly, that's it's true. because people just disagree with you. Well, you're just proof texting because all you did was quote three verses, and you know what? I quoted the whole chapter or something yeah. something petty like that. <laughs> how many words did you have in your verses? Yeah, right. How, yeah. How many? How big well, is your passage? Well, hey, you asked me to tell you where in the Bible I agree. This is the, where I get this. And then I quote a verse from you, and you say, well, I'm just proof texting. And Doug, you said something earlier, and this is another like thing I really appreciated from your, from your earlier part of your discussion. And you didn't quite say it in this way, but I'm gonna, I want to explicitly say this. And you and I have talked about this. Nick and I have talked about this. Uh, you know, anybody who's been kind of involved in LCI has probably heard this from me at some point, that I feel that if, if our, we have a lot of goals as an organization, but one thing if I will be very proud of if by the end of, of whatever this useful lifespan of our organization is, if we have just raised the level of theological conversation about this topic in, in the world, then we have done our duty. <laughs> and that would be a wonderful thing to see because uh, you sure don't see it often enough. Amen to that. I like that. I think one thing that our listeners probably want to hear is 
some of the answers to misunderstandings because I'm sure if, especially ones who are kind of solidly Christian and libertarian, uh, they've been accused uh, and misunderstood. They've been misunderstood or accused of believing things they don't really believe. And so I, obviously we don't know what everyone deals with, but we do know some of the common things that we've been accused of and that uh, people bring up and ask us about. So we have a few misunderstandings that we want to kind of tackle here tonight. And this is really important because a lot of times you guys out, I mean, I, I, I hear it from you guys all the time, all, you know, readers, listeners alike, you know, we get comments and people ask us questions. We want to equip you to get out there and have these, these answers under your belt so that when you get surprised by one of these misunderstandings that somebody has about you, that, you know, ah, I know how to answer this. Here's how it's done. And, uh, so we want to help you to, to, you know, to get over that hump, if you will. And uh, keep listening and reading to what you know to all of what we're doing at LCI, and we're going to try and, and do our best to you know to help you along that path. And you can email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. We will gladly either you know add this to, to our queue of uh, podcast topics to talk about, or we will just uh, respond. We usually respond within two days, if yeah, not, we, if we not try. way sooner. <laughs> Shameless plug, right? Libertarianchristians.com/slash/podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Well, so here's here's one that we definitely see, you know, frequently enough. It has to do with uh, the moral values that we uh, that we hold as Christians being implemented as law in society today. Sometimes, you know, we, you hear uh, one of the the catchphrases, uh, you know, oh, well, you can't legislate morality, and then the Christian response sometimes is, well, every every legislation is legislating morality. Well, as libertarian Christians or Christian libertarians we have a kind of more nuanced view on this entire thing. You know, being Christians, we do uphold a certain morality, and it's based in, uh, you know, our biblical understanding uh, of the world. And that's that's really important. And sometimes, you know, we, we might call that a tr maybe a traditionally conservative morality. Um, and that's that's a good thing. We want people to, you know, to follow the Bible in, in the way that we behave. But a lot of non-Christians, and sometimes even and Christians as well, don't quite understand that just because we hold these certain moral values, that does not mean that I have the right to enforce or use coercion against someone else to to make them live according to those values. And it's in, and another important part of that is that you know if that were if that were something that uh, that uh, that God did, then maybe we would we might have justification in even doing so. But the funny thing is, is that that's not the way that God acts. God doesn't even force people, uh, per se, to, uh, to behave according to those values. He does say there's going to be consequences if you don't, natural consequences oftentimes, uh, that, that just happen from, from the consequences, it's the consequences of sin in the world. Um, but one thing that God doesn't do is he doesn't force himself upon us like that. That's just not something in his, in his nature. He doesn't do that. So if he doesn't do that, then why should we? That's one of that's one of those things that uh, you should definitely be be prepared to answer when it, when you uh, are talking with both Christians and non Christians about why you think you should be a libertarian. You know, it's surprising to me that more non Christian libertarians. So, for instance, an, uh, a libertarian who may be an atheist and doesn't have maybe not just an atheist, but doesn't have a really high view of Christians in general, wouldn't be excited to hear that other Christians or that Christians are also libertarians because. The impression is often that Christians want to legislate morality in such a way that it infringes on personal choices, whether it's from sexual morality or you know things like smoking pot and just other kind of personal choices. And if 
if all the Jerry Falwell types of the world uh, had their way as Christians, they wouldn't, not, none of those, you know, fun vices be allowed. And so you'd, you'd think that more atheist libertarians would be like, wow, there's some Christians who, who maybe believe those things for themselves, but they don't believe that the state should enforce that right upon me. Woohoo. Uh, yet at the same time, we get a lot of pushback like, well, that's just incompatible. You can't be a libertarian. Your faith doesn't let you let us have our way. It's just a, it's just a surprising thing to me. Yeah, but and it's it's interesting because like sometimes it betrays from the non-Christian side a desire for more than libertarianism, but rather a libertinism, which is something that libertarianism is not. Uh, and we've emphasized that time and time again. And you'll see this uh, in in our writings on this website. You'll see it in uh, even in the called the Freedom Book, I believe that uh, you know that recently came out. That you know libertinism is something completely and fundamentally different from libertarianism. That leads us to the other common misunderstanding, and is that it's sort of down to the question, can somebody believe that an action or behavior is a vice but also be legal? I know a lot of people write to us and say, well, the Libertarian Party, which we're not associated with, by the way, for the record, the, the Libertarian Party is pro-choice, and you know that must be the official Libertarian view because that's the party view, and you know I just couldn't be a Libertarian because I'm not pro-choice because I'm a Christian, and Christians aren't pro-choice. Christians are pro-life. That's what that's what people will email us about and, and talk to us, and they'll ask us what is what is your position and so forth. And and not to talk specifically about the abortion issue, but the question is directed at well, this is something that libertarians believe should be legal. I believe this is a harmful thing to do as an individual, and why on earth would we let other people do that? Shouldn't that be illegal? I can't be a libertarian. Uh, and that sort of is the argument. There's a couple of different ways we can look at this. I mean, the, the first thing I'd point out is that there are a lot of pro-life libertarians. I mean, our, our, uh, our position here at LCI is, is we're, we're pro-life. You know, we don't, we don't approve of abortion. Now, how we go about handling that as far as politics, yeah, there's, there's some differences of opinion. You could have somebody like a, a Ron or a Rand Paul, two of the most prominent uh, libertarian Christian politicians uh, in in modern times uh, who would say yes, there is a role for government. If you're going to be a, if you're going to be a minarchist and and a Christian libertarian and you're pro life, you might say yes, there is a position for government in in regulating this and preventing it uh, because it is an aggressive act against a person. Uh, others, if you're maybe more of an anarcho-capitalist or even a, a, a pacifist or what have you, you may say, well, maybe the, the best way to go about this is through indirect measures. Uh, for example, if there's some role for insurance contracts in, in preventing uh, abortions from being carried out on the open market. You know, I mean, that, and that sounds a little weird to some people, but if you get into the nuances of libertarian theory and insurance law and all that, I mean, it, it, it makes sense how that could be a workable solution. So there's different ways of coming at it, and we can debate that and discuss that and talk about what's the most practical way and, more importantly, what's the most ethical way. Um, but the point is there's a lot of pro-life libertarians, and there's different ways of looking at that, at that particular issue. But the overarching thing when we're talking about how we view policy matters is – 
it has to go back to the non-aggression principle. And the abortion is kind of taken as sort of the litmus test case, I think, for, for a lot of people here. But, but let's look at some other things, like the drug war, for example. Now, we could say, is it a sin to be a cocaine addict? Uh, well, yeah, I think there's a lot of, a lot of reasons, biblical theological reasons, you can say it's wrong and it's sinful to get addicted to cocaine and be a cocaine addict or be a cocaine dealer. That's not good. You know, we don't approve of that. But does that mean that we're going to inflict violence against someone to stop them from doing that? Or is there maybe a better way, a more Christian way to go about it? Do they maybe, rather than need uh, need to be inflicted by the state, do they need counsel? Do they need ministry? Do they need Jesus? Do they need medical treatment? So the... The issue is, you can believe that something is unethical, and even that God will bring judgment for that action, and still simultaneously believe that the Christian way to handle that, which is also the libertarian way, incidentally, is through non-coercive, non-violent means that, uh, that, that offer a fundamentally better way of dealing with the problem. It all comes back to the non-aggression principle, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does, Doug. The non-aggression principle is the the foundation of libertarian theory, and like and rightly so. Uh, and and it flows into how we think about property rights. And this all, you know, this is this is all in accordance with what we think about how the you know the, even the golden rule and the way that uh, that that the Bible describes uh, how we should treat others, that we should do unto others as we should as we would have d- done unto us. And the flip side of that is kind of like the non-aggression principle that we should not do to others what we wouldn't want done to us, as well. Uh, so that's that's a I think an interesting kind of touch point that uh, that we we can even see in the scripture in this respect. And and you know it's just it's a, there's a fundamentally different thing between being an advocate for the freedom to do an action, and yet being an advocate for the behavior itself. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily be for uh, things such as taking uh, illicit drugs or things like that in, in most cases. But I think that there is a grave evil in the uh, using the state to prevent it in, in prohibition uh, and for, for a variety of reasons, m- both, both moral and practical. It's a, it goes against the fundamental ethical principles that we have as, as Christians and libertarians, just foundationally speaking, and it's also bad for society in that by doing so, uh, the cure is often worse than the disease itself, and we often lose out on the possibilities of things like research and development uh, and treatments that could result as as uh, from not having it prohibited. Uh, that's that's a whole other kind of ball of wax to approach there. But the point is, is that there's a holistic reason why the non-aggression principle works. Uh, it's it is both moral and practical, and it's something you know even. Even some of uh, uh, the people we we don't always uh, like at times, people like Ayn Rand, who was not a libertarian, but but also made the uh, a point that the moral is the practical as well, uh, and that's not, so. It's interesting that there's even a touch point there that even non Christians can figure that out. Uh, we should, as Christians, be able to understand that as well. Before we wrap up this episode, the person who kind of prompted the, this topic also wanted to know, you know, are there just differences in motivation for 
for some libertarians versus Christian libertarians, and do any policy differences emerge? And you know, I'm not sure exactly what the question is meant by motivation, but if I can, if if I want to guess a little bit, I could say that Christians might be motivated to be libertarians because they see that love of God and neighbor has implications for more than just how do I love the people that I know in my circle, and how do I see the world, and do I see the world as something that I am to I have authority to manage, as in, like, I want to have control over it, and I want to, I desire to usurp authority and vote for the right things to happen so that everyone does what I want to do, or do we have a fundamental different perspective that it's not our job to manage every person in the world? And so I would see the um, love of God and neighbor as a motivation for me as being a libertarian. Uh, sure, there are people out there who are, want to be libertines in, in their personal life, and libertarianism is is likely the best uh, political philosophy for them, and they just want to promote policies that uh, allow them to do whatever they want. So I can't speak to the motivations of other people, and I can only speak to my own, and it is coming from a more, I think, Christ-centered view of how do we see the rest of the world. In terms of policy differences, it's an interesting question to explore. One thing that I think we could talk about is strategic differences in improving the world. Uh, it could be that policy doesn't really isn't really entertained very much. Norm, I think you had something to say about about the strategy part, though. Yeah, I think there are some elements of both policy and strategy that uh, perhaps I maybe this is unique to me. Maybe 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 not. But I'll just say some of these things and and perhaps explain why I think about some of this. Uh, coming at it from a Christian perspective um, and how it perhaps differs from uh, some other approaches. From the from the policy edge, we've mentioned already that abortion is a bit of, there's some contentiousness amongst uh, libertarians sometimes about the topic, uh, it, it, more in the, in the details than in the, um, than in the absolutes sometimes. Uh, there are, that, that's, that's significant there. That, that may be one of the more important policy pieces. I think there may be some others, too, uh, that may or may not be Christian-related. One of them might be with respect to uh, covenant, types of covenant communities that might uh, result as, a, uh, as an outgrowth of the, or, or as a result of reducing state power in various um, arenas. And so it might be possible um, and, or, and desirable amongst some Christians to have uh, covenant communities where they would be able to set their own rules in various ways. And there would be differences even amongst Christian libertarians as to the extent to that those covenant communities should be able to operate potentially, um, because you could imagine scenarios in which that could be, um, that could be a problem as well. I could, I mean, we, we've seen certain things like this before, uh, even in the modern world that, that seem like they're a little odd and out there and perhaps uh, not very well desired. Um, so different Christian libertarians may have different perspectives on that, and especially c compared to other um, to other libertarians. Uh, so that might be a policy difference that um, could be explored at some point or another. Strategically, uh, I think there's probably one significant way in which Christian libertarians perhaps have and maybe even an edge or an angle above uh, a lot of libertarians in the way that they approach getting rid of state power oftentimes. Uh, the Christian mandate that I see in Scripture is one that does not want to use violence in 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 the accomplishing of our of our goals, uh, such as the even the elimination of the state in the long run. 
And that's something that not all libertarians uh, are, are certainly agreed on. Um, you know, there, there's because of the way that is often viewed, uh, responsorial violence, uh, responsive violence toward um, toward aggression. Uh, oftentimes, we as Christian libertarians may see that perhaps in the face of the state itself, there is a better way of going about uh, deflecting or uh, or diffusing its power. And I think that that really comes in in some respects due to our view of the martyrs in history, uh, that we are uh, often called to endure abuses for the sake of Christ. And to not fight back at very at sometimes sometimes um, for the name of Christ, uh, and that if we are to and that persecution is something that we tend to expect or we ought to expect as Christians, and it's not always um, the right thing to do to rise up in arms against it. And again, this is not always, but I think the important contribution there is that um, ratcheting up violence uh, doesn't always solve anything. You know that that's I think something to be to that we can as Christian libertarians can um, can really contribute there is a particular understanding about how peaceful resistance and the the means of changing culture through developing better culture, if you will, is the the right way of of ultimately diffusing and dismantling the state apparatus, not through continuous revolution, uh, not through violent overthrow, not through assassinations. And not through the use of violence to do this sort of thing. Without going into that in any great and grand detail, I think that's something that is, again, potentially worth exploring um, in, uh, another time uh, and in various uh, avenues. But uh, we won't do that here. But I think that's something to be, to, to be kind of noted uh, as significant about perhaps the Christian way of thinking about this thing. It's difficult to talk about policy because the news cycle, we're so used to being inundated with this policy, this policy, this policy, and the battles that's going on between, you know, the new tax policy and so forth. And so we, we often will think about the policy as, and we'll do libertarians support the new tax bill or do libertarians support uh, the defunding of this organization? Well, yes and no. And those, those answers are far more holistic if we really want to give an honest assessment and answer of what's actually going on. So it's way more complicated than, oh, well, libertarians support the Trump tax bill because, oh, look, it lowers taxes. There's more to it than just saying, well, yeah, of course we're for lower. We're, we're for no taxes. It, Taxation is theft, man. Yeah. <laughs> so we can't just say something easy. So that makes it difficult to evaluate any particular policy or to answer a question about how does it lead to policy differences. Uh, that's not a way to evade the question. We just want to offer a more holistic answer and to think about, well, what's going on behind the scenes? And there are... It, Tax policy is not all all black and white, all bad or all good, um, or all all legislation. I should say uh, can be evaluated in by in a number of ways by a number of standards that we would all say, well, a little bit of good, the good, a little bit of bad. It's just it's just not easy to answer that question. Yeah, pollsters should never call me because whenever I get asked about policy by a pollster, it ends up just being a very confusing discussion for them about, well, if what you mean by this is this, then maybe yes. But if what you mean by this is something else, then, then so what do you want to talk about this for a while? Have <laughs> you actually had that? I've had that experience with the pollster oh. during the last election. Oh yes. Like Multiple what do you mean times. by this question? And he's like, well, just, just, just answer the question. I'm like, well, I don't know what you mean it's by not that yes word. Yes or no. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's not yes or no. I'm like, well, why don't you have a third answer? He's like, I didn't write the question. I'm just calling you. I was like, well, I understand that, but, it's a bad question. I don't know the answer. I don't have an answer. Yeah. He, he couldn't go forward with it. 
th- th- those are all they're all contractors. They they don't know how to go off screen. <laughs> they don't even know what they're doing or what they're saying. So someday we'll just have a podcast just about funny funny pollster stories or funny political stories that uh, that we've had in our past. Yeah. And maybe <laughs> we'll do a bonus segment on how to best talk to Netflix tech support. Oh, that. <laughs> That's that's a long story for those un- the uninitiated. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I I think this is a good go in the place show to... notes. Go in the show yeah. notes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a good one. Yeah. Well, I hope that all of you guys, uh, our listeners here, are just enjoying this. Um, we had a lot of fun. This is a great way of 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 learning more about our faith and to uh, to just practice it a little better each day. If you would like to reach out to us, you can send us an email at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and of course our website, libertarianchristians.com. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, and we depend on your generous donations. You can go to libertarianchristians.com slash donate. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com.